Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Loving Life at Home. This week, I'm tackling another question sent in by a listener. She would like to know, is having babies at odds with the Great Commission? Are we wasting our time raising children? Or put another way, should we skip having kids to further the gospel? I'm going to start by reading her letter in its entirety because I really want to take this point by point and see what the Bible has to say about it. She writes, Hi, Jennifer. My husband and I would like to have many kids, but I've heard something along the lines of, quote, you shouldn't spend your time raising kids, but should spend your time evangelizing and building the church instead. They say that the creation mandate applies to fulfilling the Great Commission, not to having children. My husband and I do try to show Christ wherever we are, and my husband is known for his Christian influence at work. I was just wondering how you think through this. I know the Bible says many great things about having children, but I also don't want to be wasting my time if that ideology is indeed true. Thank you. So, Let's see what the Bible does say about that. It's obvious this listener and her husband want to do the right thing and to use their time wisely, but they aren't sure how to proceed. Have you ever felt that tension? Like you only have a finite amount of time on the earth and you want to be as wise as you can in the way you spend it? If you're a believer, you probably want to use it in a way that honors God, but What is that kind of intentional wise stewardship supposed to look like? Does it require us to forego having children for the sake of the gospel? Isn't raising kids a waste of time when there's a whole world of people out there that need Christ? My first thought when I read this letter was this, isn't it just like the devil to throw shade and cause us to question something God has so clearly shown in Scripture to be good and desirable and to sow seeds of doubt and confusion in its place? That's been Satan's modus operandi from the beginning, and he's still using it today because it's so effective. I saw a meme on Instagram this week that contrasted the words of Christ to the words of the devil. Jesus says, God has said. Satan says, has God said? It's important that we recognize that difference. So I want to take this letter point by point and examine what God's Word has to say about all these questions that are presently bouncing around inside this listener's head, especially since now that I've read it out loud on this podcast, some of those same questions may also be bouncing around inside your head as well. So bottom line, there are five biblical truths I'd like to drive home in my response to these questions. Number one is... The Bible does call children a blessing from God. This listener writes, My husband and I would like to have many kids. First of all, can we just pause long enough to recognize what a rare statement this is? Not every couple can honestly say that having many children is something that they desire. And second, it's entirely reasonable that Bible-believing couples should want children. Scripture depicts children as a blessing from the Lord, so desiring children means desiring God's blessing, and that makes total sense. 
We read in Psalm 127, 3 through 5, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. So my advice on this matter, don't be quick to discount or second guess your heart's desire when it's so clearly aligned with God's word. Psalm 37, 4 tells us, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this verse can be taken two ways. When I delight myself in the Lord, He will grant the desires that are in my heart. Or when I delight myself in Him, He will place within my heart the desires that He wants to reside there. I think both of these are true. When we take delight in God, He first transforms our desires to bring them into alignment with His own, not my will, but thine be done. And He then fulfills those desires by giving us exactly what we've been longing for as a result of spending time with Him. So, it's entirely possible that God is the one impressing on this couple's heart the desire to have many children, and they should not be made to feel guilty about wanting that. Then number two... Having children opens new doors to evangelism. My listener continues, I've heard something along the lines that you shouldn't spend your time raising kids, but should spend your time evangelizing and building the church instead. Now, this sounds super spiritual, but it reminds me a little bit of the disciples turning parents away when they tried to bring their children to Jesus because they mistakenly thought Christ had more important things to do than interact with a bunch of kids. Do you remember what Jesus said, though, when he heard what the disciples were up to? He set them straight in a hurry. Luke 18, 15 through 16 reads, Now people were even bringing their babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw that, they rebuked those who brought them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We need to recognize the fact that raising children and making disciples are not mutually exclusive activities. You don't have to choose between having babies and building the church. You can do both at once. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better opportunity for making disciples than the teaching as you sit in your house and walk in the way and lie down and rise up responsibility that God has uniquely entrusted to parents. Furthermore, Jesus himself observed, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. That's Mark 10, 15. So the idea that time spent with children is time lost to kingdom building clearly did not come from Christ. Then truth number three is that being fruitful and making disciples are complementary activities. Here, my listener's letter gets a little bit technical. She writes, Some people say that the creation mandate applies to fulfilling the Great Commission, not to having children. Now, you may be wondering, what do all those words even mean? Taking them in order, the creation mandate, which is sometimes called the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate, is found in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Old Testament, where God is speaking to Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, we read, So God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. 
God repeats this mandate after the flood. In Genesis 9-1, we read, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Interestingly, this was still God's message to his people, even during the Babylonian captivity. In Jeremiah 29, 4-6, we read, This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles who were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. It's important to note that nowhere in Scripture do we see God rescind the instructions found in the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Now, the Great Commission, on the other hand, is given in the first book of the New Testament where Jesus is speaking to His disciples. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always even to the end of the age. I guess the question that we need to ask is, are these two mandates, the creation mandate and the Great Commission, at all related? I believe a good argument can be made that they are. They are both spelled out clearly in Scripture. Both define our responsibility to the world around us, first to populate it and then to evangelize it. Both describe an ongoing work. We are to subdue the earth, cultivate the ground, plant gardens, and eat the fruit. But we are also to plant the Word of God in people's hearts, water it, and reap a harvest. Additionally, both are cooperative efforts. We know it takes a man and a woman to make a baby, in addition to God, who opens and closes the womb. Similarly, in reference to the word implanted, which is able to save our souls, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. 1 Corinthians 3.6 Both also are dependent upon God's blessing our efforts. So clearly, there are a lot of parallels between the two, but I see no indication that Jesus meant for us to completely set aside the creation mandate when He gave us the Great Commission, any more than He meant for us to completely give up eating physical food when He called us to partake of the bread of life. When Jesus declared in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, He was not commanding us to stop filling our bellies, but was emphasizing the fact that physical food alone will never satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Likewise, when He commands us to make disciples, He's not abolishing the old mandate, but rather expanding it. Whereas the original command was concerned with physical goals, having babies, planting gardens, eating the produce, the new command adds spiritual goals on top of the other, living out the gospel, making disciples, shepherding souls. Truth number four is we should be sharing the gospel wherever we go. My listener admits, my husband and I try to show Christ wherever we are, and my husband is known for his Christian influence at work. 
That is exactly how it should be. We should be sharing Jesus wherever we go, beginning in our own home and spreading out from there. Jesus made this abundantly clear in the book of Acts. In Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. See how Christ told them to start where they were in Jerusalem and to spread out from there? Even the word translated go in Matthew 28 19 literally means having gone. Therefore, having gone, disciple the nations. It assumes that God has already put you somewhere, and that particular somewhere is where he intends for you to start. So be faithful in sharing the gospel there until he moves you somewhere else. Moreover, you can reach people in your sphere that I will never even meet in mine, and vice versa. This is a concept my husband tried unsuccessfully to explain to his own father when he expressed disappointment that Doug chose a career in medicine rather than following in dad's footsteps and becoming a preacher. Never mind the fact that Doug deals with patients every day who might never darken the doorway of a church. But guess what? When they're sick and scared and uncertain of their own prognosis, they're often much more receptive to the gospel and much bolder about asking my husband to pray over them before taking them back to the operating room. In the same way, we're friends with a local politician who regularly rubs elbows with folks in Austin who we will probably never cross their path. But he's so intentional about sharing Christ at every opportunity. In the 20 years we've known him, I've heard him speak at weddings and graduations and rallies and conventions and community events, and it doesn't matter where we are or what his role, whether he's the keynote speaker or just introducing another speaker or making announcements or leading a prayer, I have never once heard that man speak without sharing the gospel in the process. No matter how brief his remarks, at some point he manages to weave in the fact that we have all sinned, every one of us, and that the penalty of sin is death, but Jesus lived a perfect life and died in our place so that if we will repent of our sins and confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts, that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved to live with him eternally in heaven. The word gospel literally means good news, and that, my friend, is the good news in a nutshell. Then, finally, truth number five, we all have different but important jobs to do. My listener ended her letter by writing, I was just wondering how you think through this. I know the Bible says many great things about having children, but I also don't want to be wasting my time if that ideology that the Great Commission supersedes the creation mandate is indeed true. The answer to how I think through this is with much prayer and searching of Scripture. Because the truth is, whether you deliver the gospel in a nutshell during a pre-op exam or you explain it in exquisite detail during a Sunday morning sermon, sharing the good news of Christ's sacrificial love is just the first step. It is planting a seed. In the same way that parenting is a long and drawn-out project, so is evangelism and disciple-making. In either endeavor, it often takes years before we see the mature, ripened fruit that we desire. And while I don't buy into the notion that raising children is a waste of time when there are still people in the world who've never heard about Jesus, it's not because I don't think taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is an important goal. It is. I have read enough missionary biographies and met enough real-life missionaries who've dedicated their entire lives to carrying the gospel into previously unreached areas or translating the Bible into previously unwritten languages 
that I know such workers are vitally important to God's eternal plan for drawing unto Himself folks from every tribe and tongue and people and nation as we read in Revelation 5.9. I once had a friend who deeply longed to do big things for Jesus. In her mind, those big things took the same shape as some of those missionary biographies we've read. What if God calls me to Africa but doesn't call my husband there, she once asked me. It was obvious in talking to her that she viewed ministry as something that takes place outside the home, and she saw her spouse and children as obstacles to the hypothetical call God might someday place on her life. She didn't want to waste her time raising children when she could be doing important kingdom work. Yet, what my friend failed to realize is the fact that parenting, when done as unto the Lord, can be kingdom work just as surely as overseas missions can. And while she didn't yet have a clear call to Africa, as a wife and the mother of young children, she did have clear biblical commands to respect and defer to her husband and to love and nurture her children. C.S. Lewis argued that children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. Christ's reaction to his disciples when they tried to send the children away lends some validity to Lewis's statement, although I think that we need to be careful assigning levels of importance to kingdom work of any kind. Paul speaks to the fact that each of us has a different role to play in the body of Christ— which is another name for the church, and we should never look down upon those whose roles differ from ours. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, 18-21, But in fact, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them according to His design. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor can the head say to the feet, I do not need you. So, my answer to the married couple who wants a lot of children, go for it. And don't let Satan convince you that raising children is a waste of time. That is ridiculous. To couples who already have kids, I'd say, as much as possible, avoid outsourcing your children's training while they're young. They stay little for such a brief period of time. See those years for what they are important kingdom work, and do everything you can to instill in your children a love for God and a respect for His Word. And to singles and couples who don't have children, recognize that God has a purpose for placing you in your current circumstances and resolve to serve Him wholeheartedly in whatever state you find yourself. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.